Hello everyone and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Johnette Magner. Joining us now to discuss breast cancer risk and screening is Dr. Julie Cup. She is with Willis Knighton Breast Health and Surgical Specialist located here on Uri Drive in Shreveport. We will be taking your calls throughout the 30 minute show. And as a reminder, please make sure that you are in a quiet room when you call with your TV turned all the way down. Our number is 318-219-4569. If you call, you can speak directly with Dr. Cup about any concerns you have related to today's topic. So welcome Dr. Cup. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, we're thrilled to have you and we're thrilled to talk about this really important topic. So let's go ahead and start with the basics. What are the different types of breast cancer? So the different types of breast cancer are divided between invasive cancer, the kind that can spread, and non-invasive cancer, the kind that's stuck inside the ducts or the lobules of the breast. So how common are, are these two different types? Which one do you see more? We definitely see a lot more of the invasive kind, uh, ductal carcinoma in situ, the non-spreading uh, type is a subset, but it can also be seen with the invasive type. So, but you definitely, you don't want the invasive. It's considered good news to have the other? Yes, definitely. You won the lottery with cancers if you get the DCIS. <laughs> oh, that's great. No, so talk about survival rates with the two different ones and, and treatment uh, regimens. So with DCIS, the non-invasive kind, uh, treatment is surgical plus minus radiation and then potentially a hormone blocker pill called tamoxifen to help reduce the risk of a recurrence. Uh, no chemotherapy is used in the world of DCIS. Uh, survival for that, 100%. Oh, wow. Yes, so if a cancer can't spread, it can't kill you. So great stage zero type cancer. Like I said, that's winning the lottery with cancer. Yeah. Uh, with, stay, uh, with an invasive cancer, that's when you go from stage one up to stage four, which is metastatic disease. And depending on what stage you're caught, the level of treatment that you need changes. Uh, for someone who is early stage, yes, you could still end up with chemotherapy, um, depending on what subtype of invasive cancer you have, such as a triple negative or a HER2 positive breast cancer. Uh, then there's also the anti-hormonal medications, such as tamoxifen or its cousins, the aromatase inhibitors. And so uh, we can use that at any stage of cancer. Uh, surgery is used in the first three stages as far as treating the primary cancer. Once we get into stage four, which is metastatic disease, we don't do as much surgery for the primary tumor because the life-threatening stuff is the distant disease. And so medicine therapy is the lead in treating that along with some radiation depending on where the distant disease is located. All right, so let's go back to the survival rates. That, mm -hmm. that really surprised me because we all know some wonderful woman who we loved, perhaps a grandmother, great-grandmother who, who died of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Today, that's less common. Much less common. Right now, there's over three million women living in the U.S. with a history of breast cancer. Emphasis on living. So much better than what it used to be. Back in the 70s, overall survival rate was in the 70s, uh, where now stage one breast cancer has a 98 plus percent survival rate, stage two a 92 plus survival rate, 
So we're doing a lot better than what we used to do. And are we generally catching these earlier too? Yes, we are. With screening mammograms, we are able to catch cancer so much sooner than just with the self-exam and physical exams. And so because we are able to catch them so much sooner, I found tumors as small as four millimeters in patients, wow. which is amazing. And there's just no way you would ever feel that on a self-exam. So with the mammograms, uh, we are able to do so much more, catching so much more, and that's why we have such great survival rates. Are most women good about going and getting mammograms? I, I mean, I, I go every year, it's on, it's on that list of yearly visits. We can always improve in our self-screening habits. Um, nobody really likes to get a mammogram. They're not the most fun. Mm -hmm. But um, there's also a lot of bad press around mammograms, how much they hurt and things like that. I remind women, you know, we wear shoes that really hurt our feet just to go to a nice dinner. Those can't save our lives, but a mammogram can. Oh, I love that. I'm gonna to have to remember and borrow that one from you. Yes. That's so great. <laughs> All right, so one of the things that we know about breast cancer is that um, if you have, and I get asked this on the questionnaires, did your mother have it? Did your grandmother have it? How important is family history in predicting your probability of developing it? So family history is harped on, and so most people think it's the biggest reason why people get breast cancer. Actually, only about 15% of people who are diagnosed with breast cancer have a family history. So it really doesn't elevate your personal risk nearly as much as what you would think. Now, if your loved one was premenopausal in their 30s or 40s, it has a higher risk level compared to grandma who was 78. Okay. Also, if you have multiple generations with people with breast cancer, it may increase the risk more. The biggest reason we talk so much about family history is so that way we can figure out which family members or which families have genetic mutations that make them highly more susceptible to breast cancer compared to the average person. So what percentage of women have this genetic, I've, I've always heard it called the breast cancer gene. Yes, so there's actually about a half, uh, about a dozen genes now besides BRCA that we've identified that increase the risk of breast cancer. And so um, only five to 10% of all breast cancers are related to a genetic mutation. So it is the minority of all the breast cancers that we see. Really? Yes. I don't think that's what most of us have believed all this time. Exactly. There's a lot of misinformation still out there, but yes, genetics is a small part of family history. So you definitely have to have family history to have genetics, but you don't have to have genetics to have family history. Gotcha. Okay, so if you have a family history and perhaps mm -hmm. you even you go get tested mm -hmm. and you find that you have the gene, how should you proceed from there differently than just what the rest of us do? So anybody who's considered high risk, whether it's because of a genetic mutation, a history of an abnormal uh, biopsy with atypia found on it, um, just a general strong family history of breast cancer plus minus ovarian cancer, having your first kid after the age of 30 or actually never having a kid. All of those things are things that can actually really increase your risk of breast cancer. Never having a child increases your risk of breast cancer? Yes, so the wow. longer we're exposed to estrogen over our lifetime, the more we incur the risk for breast cancer. So having kids early 
is actually protective. So not that I'm encouraging anybody to go have a kid at 18 just to try to prevent a breast cancer, right. but it is considered protective because you have that break in the estrogen cycles through the pregnancy, potentially even through breastfeeding. Now we know that women, um, as, as they go through menopause, they're uncomfortable and many have received the hormone replacement therapy. Yes. How does that relate to your chance of getting breast cancer? So, Data has shown that there is an increased risk of breast cancer with the use of hormone replacement therapy. It increases the amount of time that you're exposed to those sex hormones over time compared to when you're supposed to stop. I do remind women, if we really weren't supposed to go through menopause and lose those higher mm -hmm. levels, we would be still buying products when we're 80 trying not to get pregnant. <laughs> so right. haven't found anybody who wants to take me up on that offer. <laughs> Yes, yes. But um, the, there is some newer research that is showing that some of the data that showed the increased risk of breast cancer may be a little bit skewed because it didn't divide the people in the study into people who were high risk because of family history or other mm -hmm. factors compared to someone who's an average risk. But the consensus is if you're going to use hormone replacement therapy, using estrogen alone, not in combination with progesterone or testosterone, if possible. Now there are situations where you have to use combo therapy, such as an intact uterus. Um, but for, at least, for a year or less is the safest time frame in which you can use it to help smooth through the edges of menopause and not have to really lose your mind during those rough patches. So when we talk about hormone replacement, I mean, I think of an, an oral replacement, but you also mm -hmm. have estrogen creams and things like that that women yes. use. Are those okay? They're all the same stuff. Uh, ah. The only ones that actually do not increase the risk of breast cancer are the vaginal estrogen for people who are having vaginal dryness or frequent UTIs and things like that. We even let our, pa our cancer patients who have had breast cancer use vaginal estrogens to help with vaginal health because it is a very big quality of life thing. Right, okay, so so that's okay. Yes, that's okay. All right, the rest of them, uh, it's a conversation so, to have with your doctor. It is definitely a conversation to talk about the risk and benefits and don't just focus on family history, thinking, oh, well, I don't have any, so I must be safe. The other factors such as an atypical biopsy or late parity or never having a child, all of those things should be added into it. And your physician can run a risk model such as the tire Cusick mm -hmm. model to try to calculate what your risk is at this point in time uh, for the next five years up to by the time you hit 85. What other behaviors elevate your risk? Like does smoking elevate your risk? Yes, smoking definitely elevates your risk for all the bad things in life. Yeah. Uh, we also encourage people to limit alcohol intake. So excess alcohol for women is defined as more than two to three alcoholic beverages in a week. So keeping it on that lower yeah. side is considered helpful. Um, obesity is a big risk factor for breast cancer. Not only does obesity cause an inflammatory state within our body, which increases the risk of all cancers, but fat cells also make estrogen, not just our ovaries. So having increased body rate increases the amount of circulating estrogen in the system. Does obesity also interfere with uh, 
mammograms and things like that? Obesity, um, believe it or not, can actually make mammograms a little bit harder because mm -hmm. getting the whole breast with a very large breast can be hard to do and getting it pulled in enough, actually getting a person pulled into the mammogram with a large stomach can be really, really difficult. So um, from that standpoint, yes, physically getting the mammogram can be more difficult compared to somebody who is smaller breasted. Um, but the one thing that is actually potentially an improvement is breast density. So breast density is this combination between how much gland do you have in your breast versus how much fat. Well, the breasts are the one thing in our body we actually want to be fatty. Now, mm -hmm. that doesn't help with lift or anything, right. but it does make mammograms easier to read. So we have uh, begun to hear about breast density over the last year or two um, mm -hmm. as different uh, public figures talk about it. What? Explain more about what that is and do mm -hmm. you need to know if, if you are in that category? And how would you even know if you did need to know? <laughs> so breast density is something that we've, as physicians have talked to each other about forever. Knowing how much gland is there in the breast, the stuff that you know actually makes the milk with breastfeeding versus fat content. And the reason it causes an issue is the more gland you have, the more white there is on the mammogram. Mm -hmm. Whereas the more fat there is, the more black there is. And so unfortunately, cancers are also white. So if you have a lot of gland in there, a cancer can hide and it can make it harder for us to detect it early. And so this came to light though in the public stance uh, a few years back in Connecticut. Uh, a woman was diagnosed with a later stage breast cancer and she was like, I've been getting my mammograms every year. Why didn't we catch this sooner? Mm -hmm. And it came down to her breast density was really elevated. And so it made it harder to catch it earlier. And so she was a woman who had connections and in Connecticut, it became a state law to start reporting to the public what breast density was for the patient. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in slowly states throughout the US have been converting or creating their own laws towards that and reporting to patients, which is why in the last few years, you've noticed on your mammogram reports in the state of Louisiana, it will talk about your breast density. Now, unfortunately, unless you understand how to read our lingo, you know, you don't yeah. necessarily know what your breast density is. And so it's right. something to talk to your doctor about. But with um, the, re the note that comes with your report, it has a blanket legal statement that says, hey, just so you know, if your breast density is increased, we might have a harder time detecting a cancer because we're not perfect. And a lot of women, unfortunately, think that when they see that statement, that means that their breast density is really high. And it really isn't commenting on the personal person's breast density. The actual report that comes with that letter, and it talks about the um, breast density in there. And it's divided into fatty replaced, scattered fiber glandular densities, uh, heterogeneous fiber glandular densities, and extremely dense. So the fatty ones are the ones that are the easiest to read. So like I said, fatty breast is a good thing. Fatty is good. Yes, the one and only area of our body that we want to cheer for that. Um, 
the extremely dense are the ones that have tons of breast uh, glandular tissue in the breast. We see that typically in our really young women. So our teenagers, our 20 year olds, 30 year olds, that's why we don't routinely do mammograms on young women because their breast density is typically so high, we're not gonna be able to see much in there so it's not gonna be as much help. So, but as we hit menopause and we start getting away from that estrogen that keeps the glands you know, growing, we start having atrophy of the glands and they start turning into fat, just the way a bodybuilder who stops lifting gets a little flabby over time. That's what's going on with the breast. And so as we age, we really wanna see the trend of our breast density going down. And so that's really what we're hoping for with women. Now we do know in women who are postmenopausal who aren't taking hormone replacement therapy or for some other reason mm -hmm. having higher estrogen levels, right. people who have the higher breast densities do have a higher risk of breast cancer. So that is one of those things that can be a risk factor. Now if somebody comes in and they're 40 years old and still has the higher levels of breast density, especially with a normal mm -hmm. to low BMI, that's probably gonna be their normal and not really elevate their risk all that much. Okay, so you just uh, uh, made me think of another question here, and that is, what age do you start getting mammograms? So the blanket statement is starting get your mammograms at age 40 and do them annually. And that is the recommendations of the societies involved with radiology, with breast surgery, um, and several other organizations that really deal with a lot of breast cancer. Uh, there are other organizations that have put out guidelines that talk about starting later or even skipping years between mammograms. But remember, these guidelines are for the person who is average risk and not somebody who has an elevated risk. So talking to your doctor about what your risk level is to see if you qualify for less screening. But if you look at all of those other guidelines, they will all report that you should still talk to your physician potentially about starting at age 40 and going every year because that produces the most lives saved. So when you, you go every year, the, the radiologists are able to compare your current year and your previous year. And yes. so you've got a great point of reference there exactly. as well. So the first few years of mammograms do have the highest callback rates where we said, hey, we think we see something, we need you to come back in to take some more pictures. You may end up following it every six month, months for a couple of years or even needing a biopsy. And most of the time it comes back as, hey, this was nothing, sorry to scare you, thinking you might've had cancer. Mm -hmm. But when you only have one or two years worth of pictures to look at, we don't know what that person's normal is. And so we're still trying to get to know it. But as we get 10 plus years of pictures to where we can look back and go, hey, what's this? And we look back, oh yeah, that's been there since at least 2015 mm -hmm. and it hasn't changed. We can just move on with you know, the next thing. So it really does increase our sensitivity and our ability to appropriately detect whether or not something's abnormal with going regularly for your mammograms. Now, women who have a family history of breast cancers that happen before age 50, or who have genetic mutations or otherwise high risk for several reasons, they may require starting to screen at an earlier age, or may increase their screening with the addition of MRIs to go along with the mammograms okay. in order to try to detect something as early as possible. 
So if you had a family member who was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 42, you would start 10 years younger than that person, but not before age 30 with mammograms. If you have somebody who you need to start screening before the age of 30, then we use just MRIs to screen our 20-year-olds. And then once you hit 30, we add in the mammograms and we alternate every six months between a mammogram and an MRI, just so that way we have something looking as often as possible to where we try to detect it as early as possible if you're gonna have a breast cancer. So an initial callback is not freak out time. No, it's not. So okay. out of all the screening mammograms, if we do 100 screening mammograms, 20% are gonna get a call back. Yes, 20% of wow. those are gonna need a biopsy and only 5% of those are actually gonna have a cancer. So, oh wow, that's yeah. great odds. Exactly, so if you get called back, we might be simply trying to figure out if your breast tissue got folded up a little bit weird or if you had you know, something on your skin that looked like something in your breast and we just needed to wipe things off better. So gotcha. we don't freak out if you get that call back because most likely it's not a bad news call back. It's just a, hey, something caught our eye. We just wanna make sure what it is and go from there. So when we talk about, and, and by the way, please give us a call if you'd like to ask a question of your own about any particular situation that you have. Our number on the screen, 318-219-4569. So give us a call and we will stop our, I'll stop my questions and let you <laughs> ask, ask yours. Um, a few years ago, uh, several years ago, I had uh, two girlfriend sisters mm -hmm. whose mother died at a very young age of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. They tested, found out they had the gene, mm -hmm. and both opted for complete mastectomies. Yes. So it, it, with the thinking being, and again, this was probably a good 20 years ago, you know, you can't get cancer in a place that doesn't exist. <laughs> Is that still an option and yes. does it work? So it's called risk reduction surgery, and so it doesn't eliminate the risk. And so on average, the risk of developing a breast cancer after risk reduction surgery is about 5%. We can't remove 100% of breast tissue unless you wanted to have skin grafts done. Mm -hmm. So in order to have you know, some skin left over to potentially do reconstruction and things like that, then there is little islands of breast tissue that are left underneath the skin that could develop a breast cancer. But going from in the 80% risk of developing a breast cancer with a BRCA mutation down to a 5% risk is a huge risk reduction for people. So people in that group, do you see that option chosen a lot? Yes, actually I do. But just because you have that diagnosis doesn't mean that you have to do it either. Mm -hmm. Because I've also had patients who've had breast cancer who have this mutation and opt to keep their breast. And so they are fine with understanding they may have an increased risk of a second breast cancer down the line, but they would rather still keep their breast and just do high risk screening in order to catch it early if they do happen to have something happen. So how about women who opt to have um, breast enhancement surgery? Mm -hmm. How does that increase their chance of getting breast cancer? And how does it potentially interfere with the mammogram screening? Because mm -hmm. you've got this other stuff in there now too. Yes, yeah, so with implants, it doesn't increase your risk of breast cancer. Okay. So that's the great news. 
Um, but it does interfere with, with mammograms because we are having to try to pull the breast tissue away from the implant to get enough pictures. And depending on how much breast tissue you have versus the size of the implant, it can be really hard to get the breast tissue away, or we may not actually be able to see way far back, like into the armpit area or close to the breastbone, because the implant's in the way to be able to get those views. So we can actually lose a lot of tissue. Also, when the implant is directly underneath the gland of the breast, there is more artifact. So things that are in the, if something we're developing right up against the implant, it can make it harder for us to see. So if you are wanting augmentation, most of us do advise to get the implant underneath the muscle. Um, although mm -hmm. most of us really aren't the biggest fans of implants because it does make our jobs harder. Yeah, I can, I, I can certainly imagine. Um, we keep talking about women, mm -hmm. but men can get breast cancer too. Yes, now they're really lucky. Less than 1% of men get breast cancer. It is a big red flag though for the risk of a genetic mutation. And so if you have a family history of male breast cancer, that is one of the big indicators to get genetic testing. So that is a big red flag for us. Okay, so well, what if you're a male and your mother and your grandmother had it, but does that put you at higher risk as a male or does it just need to be the males in your family who had it? So having a family history for guys does increase the risk, but again, it's a really small amount, uh, including men who have BRCA mutations, their risk of developing breast cancer is around 7%. So that's still a really low risk comparative to women. Okay. But men should also consider getting tested because they could be carriers who then pass it on to a daughter. So, but also with the BRCA mutation, they can have the development of pancreatic cancer, prostate mm -hmm. cancer, as well as the male breast cancer and sometimes melanoma. So understanding where their risk factors are genetically is just as important because while it may be a breast cancer gene, it could cause other cancers unique to men like prostate cancer, mm -hmm. but also cancers that are related to, doesn't matter what your gender is. Right. And so um, then if it is one that's just breast cancer, they could be the carrier to pass it on to a daughter which is why when we talk about family history, we're not just talking about mom's side of the family, we wanna know what's going on dad's side of the family too because you get half your genetics from him. So if you've got 15 people with breast cancer on dad's side of the family, that doesn't mean you're safe. Gotcha, now you know some men who carry more weight will have more breast than some others. Does that impact it at all? Um, how much does gynecomastia increase the risk? Not that we've seen a whole lot. So, but it is still important, you know, to do self checks and things like that, just to make sure something's not changing. Um, more often, the guys that I see who come in with this, they fill a nodule, but it's actually just the breast tissue um, that is developing under the nipple areolar complex and not a mass in itself to be a breast cancer. But currently, I think I have about three or four men in my panel that I see for a history of breast cancer. Um, when we talk about self-exams, you know, we, we talk about feeling around for a lump, 
but can you ever see something physically and do, do you ever have pain that's an indication of breast cancer? Are there other yeah. signs besides feeling something that feels like a lot? So things that we can see visually that are changing would be skin retraction or nipple retraction to where it seems like the skin or the nipple is attached to something on the inside and actually pulling it in. And so you can see the development of a dipple in the breast or you know what used to be an outy nipple is now an any nipple and you can't pull it back out. Um, also, um, redness, thickening of the skin, things like that can be a sign of breast cancer. Now, fortunately, most of the time, it's potentially more of a sign of infection compared to breast cancer, so that's the good news. Mm -hmm. Inflammatory breast cancer is extremely rare, um, but also pathologic nipple discharge, and I'm not talking about squeezing your nipple to see if you can force something to come out, but the kind of discharge that you see if you took off your bra at the end of the day or you woke up in the morning and there's some on your nightshirt, um, or if you just happen to be doing an exam and if you just happen to press somewhere and it goes squirt, those are the kind of nipple discharge that we're worried about. And, wow. But fortunately, only 10% of pathologic nipple discharge is related to a breast cancer. Okay. Most of the time, it's non-cancerous causes. Okay, so we've been talking about breast cancer this whole time, but there are other breast problems for which you need to go and see a physician, not only to yeah. check and see if it's cancer, but if there's an infection and it requires yeah. an antibiotic. Exactly. Also, if you're having discharge when you're not supposed to be having discharge, even if it's not a cancer, maybe we can just make that stop for you. Yeah, I wouldn't think that's something that most people would want anyway. Exactly. All right, well, this has been um, so incredibly informative and being a mature woman, I thought I knew everything <laughs> on this topic and, and you certainly told us a, a lot of really important things, including the importance of genetic testing if, if you need it and mammograms. And we'd like to thank all of you too for joining us for today's Healthline 3. Hope you have a good day and stay dry.